Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 494th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you your, a, a look at everything involving American soccer, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst, your thing, amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll answer to the best of my ability. And ladies and gentlemen, breaking news that happened this afternoon, uh, President of the Chicago Fire, Nelson Rodriguez, has stepped down. And the gentleman that will come on right now, who, of course, has been following the Chicago Fire for a while, from the Athletic in Chicago as well as Fire Confidential, the one and only Guillermo Rivera. Good evening, Guillermo. And how are you and your family doing tonight? Good, Daniel. How are you? Doing wonderful, doing very well. Well, uh, it happened that Nelson Rodriguez is no longer with the club. Apparently, he has stepped down, and uh, you know you've been very close to the situation of this club as well as what Nelson uh, has been doing for the Chicago Fire. Uh, was this expected? I think you're, if you were watching closely, uh, it was expected. I know it still caught uh, some fans uh, sort of off guard as, as a little bit of a surprise. But um, a couple of years ago when Nelson was promoted to president of the club, they reorgan- uh, restructured his contract uh, so that it ran uh, concurrent or parallel with uh, Velko Panovic's contract. Uh, Panovic's deal would have expired at the uh, in January of this year. Rodriguez's contract uh, or is it his agreement as president uh, was along that same line. So at the end of January, they would have had to have made the decision on whether or not uh, he was going to continue with the club as a president, or if uh, they were going to reimagine another role for him. I, I think with uh, the addition of uh, you know, John Urban um, and George Heights uh, last year, uh, it became apparent that there wasn't really a role for, uh, for, for Rodriguez as the team was structured and much uh, and they they say they're looking for another president uh or another person to fill that uh, that role now but uh his uh, say in the club has been relatively <laughs> diminished over the last year or so uh from uh, you know the soccer the football side uh and uh you know he uh the plan was to keep him on as as the uh, the help on the business end um, uh, through uh, 2020, but but again, uh, the business end, uh, the pandemic and COVID notwithstanding, uh, the the branding failure was a complete debacle. So, uh, at some point, you have to decide on whether or not you're going to extend him. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, I can see that. Um, well, outside of the uh, rebranding that, of course, you said failed, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't like it. I'm obviously probably mixed emotions with the fan base and the supporters of the fire. Um, player-wise, player acquisition-wise, what has he done to uh, try to put the fire uh, back on top that you thought were successes and failures? 
Well, you know, ultimately, um, the wins and losses are what's going to determine your your fate. In, in professional sports is a tough business. MLS is no different. And when Rodriguez first came on, he, he stated pretty flatly that, uh, you know, that, that's what he was going to be judged on. Um, you know, in terms of player acquisitions, there there was um, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger in in, uh, in the middle of his tenure or his second year, and that the second year is probably the most successful um, single season out of the five that he was in charge. Um, you know, but other than that that year, um, you really can't point to anything that that uh, you would say is an outstanding first team. Um, development. I, I know there was uh, some increase or a little bit of a refocus in making sure that homegrown players were signed uh, to the first team. So uh, maybe that's a little bit of a uh, of a victory for Rodriguez, or in sort of trying to uh, you know take stock of uh, of his tenure. Uh, but I think overall, you really uh, it really comes down to wins and losses, and um, they weren't successful on that end. No, they weren't, and that's probably the biggest uh, thing that you'd uh, you'd say during his tenure. Um, what about players like Georgie Mahalovich? Uh, I mean, you know, a growing player within Chicago that he found. Obviously, um, recent signings, I would think, uh, from last year. But uh, other than that, um, I- I'll agree with you. I- I- there's nothing out there that screams. Um, you know, a major success as uh, as president of the club. That that must really be tough uh, for all these uh, proud Chicago Fire supporters. How this whole situation has been for the last five years? Yeah, well, Mahalov is just one player that you mentioned. He was a homegrown player uh, that came up through their system, and like I mentioned before, maybe maybe adding more homegrowns to the first team roster can be seen as a little bit of a victory, but. Again, a lot of those players that were developed uh, were already in the pipeline before Rodriguez came in. So there was some work mm-hmm. done before he got there to start to develop, to identify and develop these kids who are coming up through the program now. And, and there are more on their way. That's not to say that they uh, they don't have more coming. Uh, but Mihailovic, um, I, I don't know that he would say this publicly, but he, he had been looking to move for some time. Um, I, I think he was probably in... Uh, the best interests of both the player and the club to move him. Um, he's going to go to Montreal where um, he will presumably get a chance to play. And the fire um, turned a pretty decent profit in terms of allocation money in exchange for him. So, you know, I mean, ideally you would like to keep your homegrown players and have them come up through the system, have them play for your for your team. And if they move on to Europe, as uh, Mihalovic does have aspiration to, then, then you reap the benefit of that. But um, I, I thought they got a pretty uh, more than reasonable uh, market value trade from Montreal for him. Yeah, that's very true. I thought he's going to do well uh, under Thierry Henry. I mean, <laughs> how, how can you say no mm-hmm. to playing with one of the best strikers in the world who can teach you that's right. how to be in good position and, and be tactically sound when you're going for goal? Yep. I, I would imagine that... Uh, Play for Thierry Henry had uh, a little bit of an attraction for Mahal, which I would think. Yep, that's true. So where do the Chicago Fire go from here now that Nelson Rodriguez is no longer with the club? Where do they go from here? Uh, has there been any rumors of anyone to take over? Um, 
and uh, you know what can you report uh, right now? Um, I, I haven't heard any really um, reliable speculation about who may be taking over in that position. I know there's going to be a lot of speculation about uh, Garth Lagerway um, at uh, from Real Salt Lake, uh, who is a, a Chicago area native. Uh, there was some talk about uh, bringing him in uh, last year when they were looking for a technical director. Uh, but uh, from what I understand, Don Garber uh, doesn't look, um, or MLS doesn't look real fondly upon uh, teams sort of poaching other teams' execs <laughs> and uh, starting bidding wards internally to bring to bring guys from club to club. So I, I, I mean, if Garth Lagerway really showed interest and said, "Hey, I, I want to be here," maybe they make that happen. But uh, my thought would be he stays at Real Salt Lake. I mean, there were other guys that uh, are, are big names in the Chicago market, like uh, John McDonough, who has uh, served with Chicago Cubs, Chicago Blackhawks, Chicago Sting back in the NASL days. He's got a little bit of a soccer background, who would seem to be a natural fit for that position if the fire want to make a little bit of a splash in the market. But, uh, you know, that's, that's speculation at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. A lot of ideas to go through. Obviously, we just found out today as well uh, the league is planning to open up uh, in April, on the first weekend of April this year, because, of course, got to be careful with the whole coronavirus pandemic situation um preseason will begin on the february 22nd with six weeks instead of four weeks of course many thought it'd be four weeks but they said six i think that's a great idea um a very heavy 2021 calendar guillermo with league matches open cup um men's national team games with the gold cup World Cup qualifying, of course, the CONCACAF Nations League semis and the final Olympics are coming now. Um, just a lot of matches that are going to be jammed-packed into one big calendar year. Um, Raphael Wicke is going to have to really balance it all out. They may have to extend the roster for at least, uh, you know, with the config, with the con- fixture congestion that every club is going to have this year. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they they still have to think about uh, player and fan safety first and foremost. Um, I would expect that uh, you're not going to see packed stadiums. You're not going to see big crowds out of the fire. Um, we're expecting to make a big splash moving into Soldier Field last year. Uh, so they're going to have to really <laughs> delay uh, that uh, sort of grand opening again. Um, you know, at this on the stadium on the lakefront, um, you know, they've got uh, a lot to consider in terms of, like I said, the uh, um, fixture congestion and like maybe it's uh, maybe it's extended rosters. But again, uh, in dealing with the Major League Soccer Players Association, uh, that that's probably going to be a topic that comes up uh, during these next couple of weeks in. in sort of the uh, attempt to renegotiate or attempt to uh, come to an agreement on what the uh, um, bargaining agreement looks like going forward. Yep, and it should be a lot of fun. Um, And once again, we're going to have to wait and see what Chicago will do this year. And, uh, I mean, still, I would still say a lot of questions that need to be answered uh, with how it's all going to be planned out. But still, though... um, I guess that's one move that's been taken care of, one move that uh, people 
like you said, uh, some of the fans, most of the fans weren't expecting this. You know, many experts like yourself, you were expecting this, and um, it's just one of those things where you got to move forward and see who's, who they're going to bring on, and obviously a big interviewing process uh, will be in play. I mean, I'm assuming they got plenty of time now. There's at least two months, or shall we say at least a month, uh, before uh, the preseason begins, and of course uh, when uh, the regular season will begin. So Guillermo, all I can say is thank you very much for your time. As always, I appreciate your time coming on the show. Um, have a safe year, if I can say that, with you and your family. And just remain vigilant, as I know that we will get back to some form of a normal. Uh, not this new normal. It's just temporary. But uh, be safe and be ready for, for this upcoming season. Thank you again, as always. Yeah, same to you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Guillermo Rivera from The Athletic in Chicago, as well as Fire Confidential, as uh, we talked about uh, this breaking news that happened today. Uh, Nelson Rodriguez, no longer the president of the Chicago Fire. He has stepped down and has moved on to greener pastures. Uh, other guests on tonight, of course, Carter Krishnar will be joining me from World Soccer Talk to talk about the cancellation of the under-20s and the under-17 World Cup. Uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament, I understand, uh, is back in March, so that's going to be fun to watch and everything, but joining me now, uh, a gentleman that, of course, uh, a former uh, writer and uh, editor of the Soccer and Sweet Tea website, of course, he's got bigger projects to worry about, that is children, but anyway, (laughs) Johnny Wakefield joins me to talk about the Charlotte Independence, their brand new stadium, of course, it is the refurbishment project of the Memorial Stadium that is in downtown uh, Charlotte, just of course a couple of miles from downtown at the local CPCC, as uh, the Independents will now call that home and leave the uh, the Sportsplex over at Matthews. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hope you're well, and how are you, my friend? I'm good, actually. My kids are asleep, so you've you've hit me at a right at a good time. Um, it's an interesting world that we're living in here in Charlotte, so I'm uh, happy to be able to talk about it with you. Absolutely. You know, I have to tell you, um, myself personally, obviously, and you could probably say this with every uh, soccer fan, whether it's in MLS, the USL leagues, uh, even USL League 2, probably MPSL, and anywhere in our country, the most important thing, that even though the popularity of the game has been growing and growing, which is always a positive, obviously the number one thing that I have always felt to make every single professional and amateur club become stronger and better is the owning of their own stadium. Now, granted, this will be on the campus of the college over there, but still, though, um, that is also partially owned by the Charlotte Independents. And with this project that's been in the works for such a long period of time, what's the feeling now with everyone in Charlotte? Outside of Charlotte FC coming over in MLS, either next year or in 2023, how good does it feel to finally call for the Independents a home of their own? You know, it's a really interesting dynamic in Charlotte. As you just said, with Charlotte FC coming into town, um, the Charlotte Independence launched in 2014. That was actually the year that we moved here to Charlotte from uh, the Midwest. And from the, from the get-go, they said they were playing at Memorial Stadium. Now, Memorial Stadium is owned by the county. Um, it is right on the campus of CPCC. 
Um, but it's always been kind of a, a, a difficult spot, um, a place that has had political wrangling about it. Um, and the independents thought that they would play there. Um, but it turns out that the ownership hadn't really checked with other soccer people in town to realize that the field was too small. And so it didn't fit regulation. It needed a lot of renovation. And so they could never really play there until a major overhaul of the building of the complex uh, was done. And so for the first year or two, they, they did. They wandered um, in the dark. They went to different colleges all around the Charlotte metro area, um, which would sometimes take people an hour outside of the city. And people often didn't know, fans didn't know where the game would be uh, that first season until um, the week of the game. And so it was really just kind of a mess from the start. Um, but I think Charlotte Independence fans in general felt like we had finally found our home um, when they landed at the Sportsplex at Matthews. Um, they did have Ramblewood for a few seasons, which was a, a prefab uh, stadium built um, in a park in South Charlotte. Um, but but when they landed at the Sportsplex, it really felt like the Independents had a home. And so now that they're um, hoping to come to Memorial still in a few months, um, it almost feels as if the time has passed. Uh, not to say that people aren't excited about Memorial, um, but with Charlotte FC coming in uh, now and, and hyped up, uh, most of the soccer attention in Charlotte is focused around that team. Um, the independents are in, a, in, in an interesting spot um, because a lot of the fans who've been with them kind of through thick and thin over the last six years, um, those who are remaining are, are torn. They're, they're still not sure Memorial's really going to happen because uh, North Carolina FC just dropped on USL League One, um, one of our main rivals here. Um, in the Carolinas. And so we're, I think independence fans in general are still holding their breath, still hopeful um, that we can land in Memorial. I drove by it again today. I live about two minutes away and it is really a stone's throw from uptown. Like you could literally hit a golf ball from the, from the field and hit, hit a skyscraper. Um, but huh. yeah, we're not really sure. It's not ready yet. <laughs> like as you drive by, it's still, um, a big mud patch. It's been raining here lately. Um, and a lot of the concrete isn't finished on the concourses and the, and the seats. So we're not really sure what's going to happen. And uh, mm. it kind of goes to the MO of the team over the last six years. Well, they said that we'd be in Memorial this year. Let's hope. Like, <laughs> we're, we're all hopeful that that's going to happen. So that's kind of the feeling here in Charlotte. No, I could understand that. I mean, you know, um, you're hoping it's on time. You're hoping they'll be ready to go. Maybe they're talking to you, uh, you know, the USL championship to say, hey, listen, give us uh, some time uh, to play on the road. And then when uh, this thing will be ready to go at home, we'll be ready to play at home. I know MLS has done things like this for teams that are also preparing themselves for their new home. But, you know, we'll start on the road and then we'll play most of our home games towards the back end of the year, which I can I can understand where you're coming from, obviously. And, and I understand where the independents are coming from, but, you know, it's been really hard to see some of these clubs have come and gone, whether they've dropped down to uh, another lower division, obviously what North Carolina FC has done um, to see where, you know, there's been past clubs like Harrisburg city Islanders. Of course they were becoming Penn FC and they've been playing in it in a stadium or technically a field really. Uh, then they move right. over to the minor league baseball stadium next door over in Penn, the um, capital of the state of Pennsylvania in Harrisburg um, and I can understand the feelings, but I mean, if it does, you know, happen, um, I, I, I still think it's a cause for celebration because, you Absolutely. know, that's yeah. now, 
because you're calling for a, a club, a home of their own, and it's just another notch in the belt for American soccer to improve and to show not just your typical sports fan in you know in the world or in the, in the country, but around the world saying, you see, we are improving. We are getting better. The infrastructure is gradually becoming a positive for the game in this country. That's right. Well, Memorial Stadium, too, is the uh, the dream location for soccer fans in Charlotte. It is like, um, as you might have seen on, online, the, the skyline views from there are incredible. When Marcus Smith launched an MLS bid in 2018, they wanted to renovate Memorial Stadium and not play at Bank of America where the NFL's Panthers play, um, but play at Memorial Stadium in that location because it is so perfect for soccer. Um, right now, the stadium in its old form, I guess, that has now been demolished, held about 16 to 17,000. Um, this new renovation, it's going to drop to 10,000. So that's okay, especially for USL. If we, if independence, if independence fans and if the team could organize enough of uh, a support to fill a 10,000 seat stadium, it'd be, it'd be a sharp, it'd be a soccer fan's dream uh, to, to be able to walk to this Memorial Stadium renovated just for um, for the team and um, it it could be perfect. And, but that's kind of that rub. Like, is, is it going to be perfect? Are we sure? Um, because with the Charlotte FC MLS interest looming and taking away most of the, the hype and, and uh, desire here in town, it's really, like I said, just a very interesting dynamic. There's no, also, it really if is. I can, but, if I can say mm-hmm. this part, it's also just really interesting sure. that um, the independent ownership uh, Dan D'Amico has been uh, the majority owner for the last year or two. Um, he has had some controversial statements online about politics, and the main supporters group here in Charlotte has um, Jack's militia has not responded well to them. Um, as I think, um, I won't get into politics here, but I uh, personally not. agree with Jack's militia on this. Um, and so he's made some really controversial statements. The team hasn't backtracked from it at all. Some of the players have spoken out against the ownership. And so even the diehard members of Jack's Militia are questioning, like, where is this team going? What's going to happen here? Because we're finally getting the stadium promised six years ago. We're really excited about watching our team play there. But NCFC has dropped. Dan D'Amico is questionable. We don't know where the team is going. Um, and MLS. It's like all these, it's like a perfect storm of uh, crap for them as they try to open up this brand new historic stadium. At least it's been six years. Do you know how long I had to wait for Red Bull Arena to open up? For goodness sakes, it felt <laughs> like it, it's been it, it's been like nineteen, twenty years. I had to wait for That's Red fair. Bull Arena to open fair. up and finally move forward. So I mean, look, I, I mean, nothing against Jack's militia. Obviously, you know, you want something right away, and that's understandable, and everything else included. Um, but you know, but I will say this. I, I I will say this. New York, New Jersey politics is a lot harder than I would say maybe Charlotte politics when it comes to uh, getting fair. something done like this. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I mean, you should see what it takes to just get fixing a sidewalk through. Well, the, of course. The, the fact that uh, Mr. Tepper with the Panthers came in and really just said, you know what, I've got all the money. I'm going to do what I want when it comes to MLS um, has made the, the fans of soccer of lower division soccer in particular here, feel like, man, where have you been for so long? Um, because he 
could have three years ago said, I want an MLS team now. I want to buy the independents, bring them up, play at Memorial. Um, so I would say yep. that the majority of the soccer fans in town have um, really pushed the independents to the back burner and even this Memorial Stadium to the back burner and said, okay, well, we're, we tried. We're going to see what happens. We're excited if it happens, especially because now Charlotte FC has been bumped to 22. We have this year 21 COVID um, considered that maybe this will be the chance for the independents to, to place a foothold. Um, but the skepticism is just high. Exactly. Now, I like to talk about um, uh, local transportation, obviously. Now, obviously, sure. uh, with the city links uh, situation, and yes, I've, I do my research as well. Obviously, I'm on Google Maps right now. Um, you've got <laughs> the advanced light rail system, of course, the CTC uh, station, arena, arena set, uh, the, the transportation center that has it there. Uh, you have your local light rail that goes up and down into downtown Charlotte and, of course, into the suburbs. But you also have the local, I guess it's still the trolley system that will go uh-huh. on the on that main street that will go, I would assume, north and south past the Spectrum Center that will go towards yep. CPCC. And uh, what's that station that's going to be closer to uh, for everyone if they do decide to take local transportation uh, with the city links? Um, what is the station that will be close to so they can walk inside uh, towards the uh, mem- the Memorial Stadium? Yeah, light rail does go straight through CPCC. It goes down Elizabeth Avenue. Um, Elizabeth intersects with Charlottetown Avenue, and, and the stadium's right there in Charlottetown. So it is walking distance from light, ma- light rail, which is really important to reach our neighborhoods north and south of the city. We have South End and Noda, um, who have both received light rail in the last decade. And so light rail is, is still a fairly fresh and new concept here, um, and, that, and that connects with the trolley system. So the trolley is a um, – it started off kind of as a – a gimmick, an old trolley car um, that they were using kind of to introduce the idea of light rail. And now that has um, kind of been done away with as they expand light rail through uh, throughout the rest of Uptown and, and the surrounding areas. So the fact mm-hmm. that that Memorial Stadium is on light rail is a big thing for both students and people who live in the city. Um, but really, Charlotte is such an easily uh, trans- transit. I don't know what word I'm trying to use. It's easy to get around um, as opposed to New York or Chicago. And so we live, as I said, just uh, five, ten minutes from Uptown and only a few minutes from Memorial. Um, we can walk there easily. Um, we can drive there, bike there. There are parking lots, uh, parking garages around Memorial Stadium that um, to get to where they're playing now, the Sportsplex, you had to take Independence Boulevard, which is um, essentially a uh, highway, uh, six lanes, eight lanes, something like that. Um, and it would take 20, 30 minutes outside the city to get there. So this uh, moving uptown, moving back to the location they had always promised um, that we wanted to be in from the very get-go is a huge thing to connect with the population that the independent ownership wants to reach and that Jack's Militia has been made up of since the start. So we're hopeful then that uh, people would be interested here in 2021, um, the people who live in South End and and Noda and even in the uptown high-rises to work for the banks and everybody around uptown. Um, because Memorial is just so easily accessible. But the independents should be able to take advantage of that. And I don't know about the 10,000, but I think this last season they averaged around 1,500, 1,500 to 2,000. Um, they should be able to at least triple that, um, given that they're playing at Memorial. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it's going to be very easy for everyone to uh, 
get over there. I think it'll be very, very easy for everyone uh, to just ride it in there and, and uh, you know, look, have some fun. You know, take advantage of the situation and and uh, take advantage yeah. of uh, well, using my, the. I was telling uh, my dad today. Mm-hmm. No, I was telling my I was telling my dad today that um, we just bought our season tickets for 2022 for Charlotte FC, and they were five hundred dollars a piece. Which, given the state of MLS, that's not a bad deal. Um, but our independent season tickets the last few seasons have been a hundred, a hundred to one hundred and fifty. And so mm-hmm. the idea of being able to walk up to uh, games at Memorial because it's so easily accessible because it's part of the city, and maybe taking our daughters and saying, you know, we've got we'd like to take our family of five plus our two grandparents to a game sometime just to spend outside on a summer night in Charlotte. If you do that with mm-hmm. the MLS, um, we love MLS. We're going to go to those games, but it would be several hundred dollars to go. You could probably mm-hmm. get into an independence game if they're trying to pack Memorial as I hope they do for under a hundred for seven people. And so, or at least close to it. And so that's such a big deal right. for all the families who live in Elizabeth, who live in the surrounding area. And that we have a large immigrant community who is just just east of Uptown and pretty close to Memorial Stadium, too. So the affordability factor combined with the accessibility factor is just going to be um, the main lynch point for the independents to find their foothold here in 2021. Absolutely, and it should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting to uh, get involved. And, uh, you know, I, can't, I cannot wait for the independents to finally, um, you know, get into their home and, and see, you know, this, is, this was worth the wait for everyone. And, you know, I think it wouldn't be too bad for everyone to basically, um, you know, like, like I agree with you, you know, um, it, it, it's been tough. It's been hard. It's been, you know, what have you been all my life? You know, what have you done for me lately? But I think <laughs> everyone should just celebrate that you have a home for the game, for the world's game in downtown Charlotte. And just to remind everyone, CPCC, I believe, stands for Central Piedmont Community College. Is that correct? That's right. Yep, that's right. All right. See, my research does count. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> if I could just say this, uh, finally, you know, look, just celebrate the game. Celebrate that you have a stadium that is right now for Charlotte. Maybe Charlotte FC in the down the road will no longer be at Bank of America Stadium, and they can finally build their own home, and it can be accessible yeah. through uh, local transportation as well. So that's the hope, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there's been really good, strong relationships so far between Charlotte FC and the Independents and the Eagles, who used to be our USL team and now are in USL League Two. Um, there's just a strong uh, feeling of community within all of the different soccer teams here in town and soccer organizations. And so um, I know that the MLS supporters group, uh, the Mint City Collective, has talked with Jack's Militia and has talked about finding ways to support the independents this year. And so there isn't any sort of animosity here in the South. Um, there are a few, of course, always Not troll yet. voices on the Internet. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Charlotte seems to be a fairly unified, um, excited soccer community that is looking for um, – looking to make its next step, whether it's Memorial, MLS, all of the above. Um, it's just a good a good time to be a soccer fan in Charlotte. Absolutely. Johnny, listen, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Hope to have you on back course, again yeah. soon, and I'll talk, I'll talk to you later. Have a good night. All right. Appreciate it.
No problem. Take care. The former managing editor of Soccer and Sweet Tea, Johnny Wakefield, talking about the brand new uh, stadium for Charlotte Independence, the refurbishment of the Memorial Stadium over at CPCC. Now we've got some serious business to talk about involving American soccer, youth soccer, of course, uh, as well as the uh, Olympic qualifying situation. Joining me right now about that, Carter Krishnayer, once again from World Soccer Talk, joins me once again. Uh, Kardec, Happy New Year, my friend. I hope you're doing well, and I hope everyone's doing well at home over in Florida. And how have you been so far tonight? Uh, doing well. Thank you, Daniel. Hope you're doing well. Hope everyone else by your way in Jersey is doing well. Absolutely. We're all doing very well. So um, we're going to talk about, of course, FIFA officially canceled both the Under-20 World Cup tournament that's going to be in Bangladesh and the Under-17 World Cup that was supposed to be in Peru – um, FIFA has stated that in 2023, both of those respective nations will still uh, host those tournaments when we get to two years down the road. Um, of course, that's probably difficult and tough for those nations that have prepared for this. Of course, uh, they had to be on hold with the, what FIFA was going to do with this uh, pandemic, but... Um, this has to be a difficult blow to some of these players that are going to go through qualifying tournaments within their own confederations, including for the U.S. And now the only way they're going to try and maybe make a roster for some form of youth uh, tournament is, of course, what's going to happen with the Olympics that will go on uh, in March. We'll get to the Olympics in a moment, but this has to be a big blow to some of the youth players uh, that have been jonesing. And, and getting themselves ready for these two uh, youth World Cup tournaments. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a big blow for a lot of them. And quite frankly, um, it, it's um, it, it's going to be tough for for a lot of these players to get the kind of reps and international um, the feel for the international game that they need, maybe to, to integrate into the national team into the full national team quickly. And I, and I think this is a, a problem that everybody is going to have. I don't know. What, I think uh, UEFA is going ahead with their U21 tournament this, uh, this summer. But um, the, 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 obviously the UEFA uh, nations and South American nations that qualify or have looked to qualify for the U17s and U20s are now out of luck. And, and we don't know about the, the status of the Olympic tournament. I think the Olympic tournament is a little less critical, honestly. I, American soccer fans and some media have made a big deal about it because we didn't qualify the last two times um, for that, uh, which is a serious problem. Um, it's a problem if you don't qualify, I'll admit. But I, I actually think losing the U-20 World Cup, that's been historically for the U.S. a huge springboard for our guys integrate into the full national team and not only integrate into the full national team, sometimes get some really lucrative moves to European clubs. So uh, it transfers. Uh, it's a shop window, so to speak. So I think it's a big, big problem. No, I agree with you. I mean, couldn't CONCACAF do some sort of tournament? And not to say it's, you know, related to the World Cup, like maybe doing, like you said, UEFA does the under-21 uh, World Cup tournament or under twenty under twenty one uh, tournament all the time. UEFA does it every single I guess year or two years, whenever they do it. Couldn't Concacaf just do something like that or and have a conversation with let's say Conmebol to have maybe an Inter America uh, under twenty one tournament to have at least you know some of the powers from South America join in with Concacaf to have a tournament of some sort. But I, think, I mean, I, I mean, 
I think they could, but I think again, there's an issue of, 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 of pandemic safety. So maybe um, unless you have a bubble and you have a tournament in a bubble, which you could do with less nations, right? Instead of having 16 or 24, if you had eight, maybe you could do it. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, at least you have these kids that were ready to go for the under-20s. You can at least give them an opportunity to say, okay, listen, you're not going to play now. Here's an under-21 tournament. It's only temporary. It's only just going to be for, like, let's say for the heck of it, Um, back end of this year, because we all know once the – or maybe at the beginning of 2022 – you know, I mean, there's still going to be some qualification matches uh, before we get to the draw in in April for next year for the World Cup in Qatar. So, I mean, I would like to think at least, you know, you can host it somewhere in the U.S. We all know MLS now has said it'll be a 34-game schedule now that will start in April. So maybe if you have it in the off season, um, like I said, like around December, January, if possible, after MLS Cup, if it does happen, that, you know, Maybe CONCACAF and CONMEBOL can come together and have like a joint venture of some sort. We all know what goes on. You know, we still have um, some sort of tournament. I mean, I know um, CONMEBOL has always said we would like for the U.S. to come in and be a part of the Copa America or to be part of Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana. Uh, something like this could at least be a, maybe a talking point to give the, that opportunity. Yeah, but, you know, you have to remember, and, and Carlos Cordero is gone now um, from the U.S. Yes. Federation. But I, I can tell yeah. you from my own reporting, the South American federations were not amused uh, a year or a year and a half ago when the United States, when the U.S. Soccer Federation made the decision to, um, to um, uh, uh, I'm not even sure how to describe what, they, what, what it was. They, they wanted to create their own tournament uh, and, and have it in the U.S and effectively uh, co-opt the Copa America tournament in 2020. Now, as it turns out, it never would have happened because of the pandemic, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, and, and basically buy off South American Federation, say you don't have to have your own tournament here. We can make you more money in the U.S. And the South American Federation were very insulted that this was the U.S.'s approach, that basically all they cared about was money, um, that the U.S. assumed all they cared about was money, and that they would, hope they would, they would gut their own tournament to have a tournament in the U.S., uh, with the promise of making more money than they would from a Copa America. So, obviously, Carlos Cordero was gone, but at the time, South American Federation didn't want any kind of hybrid tournament, manufactured tournament, which the U.S. created. I think you talk about the Centenario, the Copa America Centenario. Is that the one you were talking about? No, 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 no. I'm talking about a tournament for 2020 that Carlos Cordero proposed in, in February or March of 2019. Ah, that would okay. have been... Right. Like the Centenario, it would have been in the U.S. It would have had 16 teams following the same format, but basically a way of uh, South America making money. These uh, and and they tried to co-op um, Comedy Ball, actually creating their own tournament in 2020, which obviously now is in 2021, which is a 10-team tournament where they invited Qatar and they invited, I believe, Japan or Australia. Australia, I think it is. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and effectively cut the U.S. and Mexico out of it, which is unfortunate because I think if you're looking at 2026, just jumping ahead here, the U.S. is going to need to be in Copa America in 2024 because without having, assuming we don't have World Cup qualifying because we'll qualify automatically, uh, we're going to need to get those sorts of games. 
Um, so yes. hopefully that can be repaired. And maybe this is a, a time to do with Daniel. Maybe maybe Cindy Parlo Cohn. She is not Carlos Cordero. She probably had nothing to do with that. Uh, and uh, Dan Flynn is not there anymore. Jay Burhalter isn't there anymore. It's, uh, Will Wilson now. Maybe Will Wilson and Cindy Parlo Cohn can reach out to Argentina and reach out to Colombia and, and Brazil and say, hey, let bygones be guidance with that. We weren't involved in that. Let's do an 18 tournament this summer. Uh, maybe maybe we can do it. Uh, in the U.S. in a bubble, or if there's a safer country, there might be, which probably is a safer country, let's be. The U.S. isn't doing particularly well with the <laughs> pandemic. Hopefully we'll be doing better by then, but um, let's do it. Let's do it somewhere. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. Let's see what happens, and hopefully uh, there will be tons of apologies and tons of gifts exchanged, and, you know, we're sorry about this, you know, and uh, why don't you come on over, or we'll come over, and, you know, we'll just say uh, – you know, let's try and get this done as quickly as possible if it's if it, they're able to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm hoping, I am hoping there'll be some form of um, reconciliation, and uh, so we can see what's going to happen down the road. Because, like I've said, and I agree with you, losing the Under 20 World Cup for this particular two-year cycle is devastating for our players that will make the jump into uh, you know a senior-level roster. For World Cup qualifying um, that we all thought we would hope to see somewhere down the road because once again as we've already stated before our last show um, last year uh, you know there's going to be a lot of fixture congestion not just for MLS who have already said they're going to start in April um, of course World Cup qualifying as we said already it's going to start in September the Gold Cup will begin in the uh, beginning of July and then of course you have CONCACAF Nations League uh, being played the, the calendar is now really probably as cramped as we've ever seen with or without a pandemic situation. Yeah. And look, qualifying is going to be a grind, I think, um, because of the eight teams, the 14 matches. It, it, and and uh, you're going to have to fit a gold cup in there. They're going to definitely try. I think Conquer Cap. Now, um, also, I, I didn't see what, how this affects the gold cup, but the uh, but MLS and USL effectively starting their seasons later. I had actually been told USL would start even later than they announced. So the early May date is, uh, is was actually surprising to me. I, I had been told by um, multiple sources that USL was probably not going to start till Memorial Day. So um, still, it's May, right? And, and MLS is not going to start till April. So they're going to play yep. probably. It's going to be like what we're seeing right now in Europe. I have to tell you, Daniel, I'm beginning to get lose my patience with um, European leagues trying to cram a full season in. When, um, when um, very clearly, it's not in the player the interest of player welfare and health to be playing on three days rest constantly all season long. So um, here, here we go again. I guess we have a a full set of uh, a Premier League fixtures. Uh, starting tomorrow for the week, you know we've had Bundesliga and Serie A and La Liga midweek. The last few weeks, actually, we had Premier League midweek last week too. Um, so it, 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 it's uh, it's getting to be uh, annoying. I think I, I I I think that MLS. I haven't seen. Obviously, we we know the dates. We don't know the the schedule yet. But my concern is, the more MLS and USL. The USL is less relevant in this situation. The more MLS tries to cram games in, the more uh, difficult it's going to be to have 
a full kind of proper Gold Cup this summer. So um, I, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, – this is a very fluid situation. I expect things to change. Uh, I'm not surprised MLS is starting so late, by the way. I, I know um, I kept telling people at some of the lower division clubs I speak to who, who are looking for friendlies, what have you, with MLS teams, Hey, they're not. They're not going to start when you think they are. People thought I was just making an excuse to not, to not help them, you know, line up matches and stuff, right? Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also going to start training camp the last week of February, and, and uh, um, the hope I think from Commissioner Garber uh, and uh, others is that the vaccine is more widely distributed by that, and they that they can have crowds in places, etc. Maybe not a full crowd, but you can't. Uh, you can't expect to have another season like last season and survive. No, absolutely not. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying from the U.S. USL perspective, real quickly, Daniel, I think a number of clubs will go out of business if they if they, if they have another season like they did last season. We've already seen a few drops, but there'll be even more. So, um, really critical time. I know it really is, and let's hope that. Uh... Let's really hope that we could get some fans in the seats in all the either the stadiums or the or the uh, sports plexes that these teams are able to play in, both in USL Championship and League One, uh, because we cannot endure another uh, pandemic-style situation like we had last year when this whole thing got started. Let's just hope we can get uh, that going. Now, uh, the Olympics, we have just found out, of course, through Twitter. I found out through Twitter. Hugo Perez, the former U.S. international course he has been uh very very good with uh you know developing you know strong players um american based players who are either um regular you know white or even hispanic um and an african american um he is now going to be the manager uh, the head coach i should say of the El Salvadorian under 23 team for uh, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying and he says that this is going to be for Tokyo 2021 and the tournament will be in March for qualifying uh, to go to Tokyo and he's excited he says he's excited about the opportunity and to give back uh, to I guess his natural country in El Salvador uh, and this will be up this upcoming March this is an opportunity now that like we've said many many times it has been very very important very, very important that we finally qualify, qualify for the Olympics. We have, you have said this, I have said this, many have said this, even Taylor Twelman of ESPN. We have not qualified for the Olympics for the last three years, or the three tournaments that uh, the uh, summer games have been played in. So we're finally going to get a, the qualifying tournament that was supposed to happen last year. And finally, we're going to have everything kick off. We're just waiting uh, for for CONCACAF to give us those dates. This is this is and it's once again, I believe it will be in Mexico. I believe there should be a, a bubble in Mexico uh, going on unless things have changed that they're going to put it somewhere else. I'm not aware of that at the moment, but I'm waiting for information from their website to see where it's going to be and how it's going to happen. Yeah. So this is a. This is an important moment. I think, um, look, 2012, we were stunned when we didn't qualify. We had a loss to El Salvador. We had a draw against Canada in a game where uh, a, a goalkeeper that, that actually played in the league I worked for at the time, NASL, Michael McEvich, had, had just a phenomenal blinder for Canada. It was a stunner. We didn't qualify, but we didn't have a particularly good team. 
2016, when we didn't qualify by losing that game to Honduras in, in October of 2015, was the um, – look, I mean, at that point, I thought Jurgen Klinsmann should be fired because he was also the technical director, and uh, we let him go for another year after that. But we had such a strong set of players for that U-20 tournament, uh, and – uh, we didn't qualify. I mean, it was it was stunning. Now, this time, uh, we we have again on paper a very good team. Uh, we have uh, the emergence now of Matthew Hope. Maybe he'll be. Uh, he didn't score this weekend against uh, uh, against Byron, but he scored the previous three weekends for um, for Schalke. And uh, we have. Uh, by the way, I think our mutual friend Eric Silver has been doing some work with Schalke uh, for the. Uh, if, if you weren't uh, aware of that, um, former Cosmos uh, um, president, former Red Bull president, uh, but uh, yeah. So I, you know, Eric had told me a while back that they, they had a number of good young Americans in their uh, in their academy, and, and uh, when he started uh, doing some work with them a few years ago, and um, they have uh, Nick Tataguay, they had Haji Wright, uh, and they now have Matthew Hope. Obviously, Weston McKinney also, who came through FC Dallas' academy and went to. I think actually Tatabai came through uh, through the academy of, of North Carolina FC in USL, but um, the old Castle Capital Area Soccer League in the Raleigh Durham area. But yeah, we, this is critically important. I think that we we qualify this time. Uh, the the other thing that I think is really really important for our young players is that our young players continue to develop and move. So I I, I like the move that Daniel Aronson's made. I like the move that Reggie Cannon's made. You have to move to the right leagues, okay? You can't move and say, hey, I've been a star in MLS. I want to go to uh, – I want to play right away top top uh, half of the Bundesliga, top half of the of Serie A or the Premier League. It doesn't necessarily work that way. So I think these are, these are good strategic moves. I think we have a lot of good young players in MLS still. Uh, for some of them – and I've said this over and over again, Daniel, each individual is different. Okay, so there's not a one-size-fits-all formula. This guy must go to Europe, or this guy must stay in MLS. No, each, each player is different. And I like the maturity in, in the decision-making from both Aronson and, and uh, Cannon. I think they, they probably got some good advice from their agents. Um, I really like this Jordan Morris move. I know this is a, a young player, but I, I really like him going to Swansea. I've watched a lot of Swansea this season and, and the end of last season in, in the championship. And um, – Steve Cooper, their manager, the, the style they're playing fits more as well. So if Swansea can get promoted to the Premier League next year, he's a key player on the Premier League. If they don't get promoted, he can either come back to Seattle or he's got six months in now in Europe and can uh, and get a move to, to a bigger European club. He made the decision to go to Swansea over a Bundesliga one team uh, including Leverkusen, Wolfsburg was looking at him uh, because he's going to play right away at Swansea, and Swansea have a good chance of getting promoted. So um, I actually like what a lot of our Yanks, Yanks uh, younger, or in the case of Morris, he's an older veteran player, but what they've done in the midst of this pandemic to get themselves games, to take the uncertainty about when MLS is going to play, when the, when the national team is going to play, and, uh, and keep themselves fit. So I think – uh, I know there are MLS fans who are upset that both Aronson and, and Cannon left the league this past season, after, after this past season. 
Um, I think both of them make very smart moves in order to keep themselves in proper playing shape for the youth national team and for the senior national team. Now, actually, in the case of, of Reggie Cannon, I, I don't think uh, he'll be called in for the youth national team, right, because he's a regular on the na- senior national team. Although, I, actually, Daniel, I'm not sure if we're going to do that this time, because I think this time we've decided we have to qualify for these youth national team tournaments, right, to the Olympics. So maybe we're mm-hmm. going to call in everybody who's, who's under 23. So that would include, that would include uh, uh, Aronson, that would include uh, – um, uh, a cannon that would include everybody, right? That would include Weston McKinney mm-hmm. if we can get him free from from Juventus. That would include Tyler Adams. That would include uh, the, the whole uh, Josh Sargent. And, and I mentioned Matthew Hope for him, for her, him for sure. With the way he scored five yep. goals in the Bundesliga in the last month, so um, we might be calling everybody in actually because I think the the maybe the mistake we made in in uh, in twenty uh, twenty fifteen. Was, was not including guys like John Brooks, who were still age eligible for that team, thinking, well, Brooks is a, a, a key player on the senior national team. We don't want him to play under 23. Well, maybe we needed him to play under 23 to qualify, right? Exactly. Exactly. I want to ask you about Matt. Is it Hope? Is it, is it really how you pronounce his last name? Is it Hope? Because I yeah, hear Hoppe yeah. from the English commentators. Yeah, I mean, it might be Hoppe, actually. I don't know. Um, I assumed it was Hope. Yeah, I, I've watched uh, Schal- I watched the Schalke um, uh, Bayern match. Well, we'll know the, the the exact pronunciation when Derek Ray, who does a lot of the World Cup games, by the way, Bundesliga. I, yeah. I, I know uh, we're all familiar with Derek Ray, but he does more uh, Bundesliga games than any other league, and in fact, he does uh, the World Cup for them. So, uh, and was paired with Steve Chirondolo actually for the for the Dortmund Mönchengladbach team. That was a, a good all-American team, right? You know, uh, broadcast Absolutely. Team. For the world team. Um, uh, and just as an aside, the German uh, G- German uh, Bundesliga, they've been much more tolerant of having Americans call matches and promoting Americans than, than maybe their British counterparts. So I really appreciate what uh, um, the Bundesliga does. But, yeah, um, Matthew Hope, or Hope, he um, – He's a guy that I, I what I what I noticed in these games I've watched with Schalke in the last month, uh, including the game against Bayern the other day, um, where, where he didn't score, was that he liked Josh Sargent. The thing that I really liked about Josh Sargent when he first broke into the Werder Bremen team, and he was playing under Claudio Pizarro, he had picked up a lot of kind of Pizarro's movement. Is it is it ability to find space, pockets of space, even you know check your own run if you're not going to find space, come back. Uh, play with your back to goal. He seems to have a lot of those elements beyond just being a good finisher. Um, but any discussion of him also leads us back to Josh Sargent, who um, Daniel is not uh, – and Sargent's another guy who obviously is age eligible for U23. Mm-hmm. I get so frustrated. I watched Brayman again the other day. Um, actually, two days ago I watched Roberta Brayman. He played very well, but Sargent does everything right. I can't stress this enough. He is, he is, I think he is a more complete player at his age than Christian Pulisic was at Pulisic's age, at that same age. But mm. Sargent can't finish. That's the only thing he's missing. He can, he can play with his back to goal. He can turn. He can lay the ball off. He can head the ball down and play like a target player. He can run into channels of space, lay a, a pass off, 
uh, for, for a teammate who will score. He's able to draw defenders out of position and allow Werder uh, Bremen's wide players to run in behind him. He has so much to his game that I think even Pulisic didn't have at his age. Difference was Pulisic was really good on the dribble and could score. And uh, uh, coming from a wide position where Sargent's a number nine, you know, number nines don't always score goals. I um, I really think he's really good, Sergeant. And I, I'd hate for us not to start him and that, uh, for the senior national team because he's not scoring um, because he's not scoring goals. I think he, he his presence allows other people to score goals is what I'm trying to say. So don't be fooled by the fact he's not scoring goals. He's doing everything else well. Maybe he'd say it's a sophomore slump. Maybe that's what it is, or some form yeah, of a sophomore yeah. slump. I would, I would go with that that's right now. I, that's the only way. That's the only way I can describe this Cardick as a sophomore slump, because we all know how talented and how strong Josh Sargent is. When you give him a chance to be not only on the ball to play the ball to him, and he'll get his opportunities. He just has to be a little more sharper at the moment. I'll just call the sophomore slump, and then we can worry about it. Hopefully he can get out of it so that he can be. But I will say this. Would it be prudent? Because Hope has been unbelievable, came out of nowhere when he played, started getting the opportunity to start for Schalke, and I've seen the highlights of him. I mean, my God, he has been brilliant on the run, He's dribbling well. He, he, he takes his chances well. Five goals in yeah. four matches, I would say. Is that what it is? Five, ma- yeah, five yeah, goals in four matches? That's five in the four. But that, that's yeah. unbelievable to five. see how uh, 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 him, out of all the players that you know, you're talking about and all the players that we, we've been discussing and, and saying, you know, this is the future. This is the future of the national team that's ready to come in. He comes out of nowhere, pulls off a hat trick, scores in an equalizer against Eintracht Frankfurt, and now all of a sudden, he's now into the picture. How the hell did that yeah, happen? And, yeah, and he's also, I, I have to point out, playing on a really bad team. Schalke is one of the worst teams I've seen in recent years in the Bundesliga. So, um, whereas, you know, I think a lot of Pulisic's success early on, and I'm not taking anything away from Pulisic, but Pulisic has always been on good teams. Dortmund is in the top four every year in Germany. Every year he was there. And uh, they, they uh, often in the top two. And Chelsea is a good team, although you know, it's not going well now. And obviously, Lampard was sacked today, uh, which probably yes. reunites Pulisic, by the way, with Thomas Tuchel, who worked so well with at Dortmund, right? He was his manager at Dortmund also. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. but, but Hope has, has, uh, has come onto the scene scoring for a team that could not score goals, that couldn't create chances, that couldn't sustain pressure in games. To me, it's almost more impressive. Um, it's a team that I saw Weston McKinney really struggle with last season, the same side. Now, McKinney looks fantastic this season. I, I thought he, he made a real impact when he came on in the second half against Inter uh, last Sunday in the game Juventus was beat uh, uh, pretty badly in that game, but McKinney made a difference when he came on. Pirlo gives him the start in the Super Cup. He looks good, and then he gives him the start uh, uh, yesterday against Bologna, and he gets a goal. So um, Weston McKinney is, 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 is refinding that, that, uh, that form again, too. But back to Matthew Hope, yeah, he's, he's right in the picture. He, he, you, you can't – I mean, even if he finishes the, finishes the year with only five, five goals, he scored five goals for a team that um, – seriously, if you threw most American strikers of the last 20 years on, they would, they would get a goal or two. That's it. Because 
um, that Schalke team is that bad. So um, I'm very impressed with him, and, and I think he's in the picture. And obviously, I think another uh, another factor here that we're seeing is Tyler Adams' um, ability to play every position on the pitch, which is what now Nagelsmann has used him for. Uh, he finally got a goal this weekend for Leipzig. He hadn't scored in a while, but uh, and he hadn't scored in league play at all this season. But um, he's playing in all these different positions. So here's what we can remember, Daniel. You can fill out your team sheet, and then where you have a weakness, you could put Tyler Adams. Now, I prefer him as a sixth. But I think Berhalter has probably seen what's happening at Leipzig and seeing how Nagelsmann, who's one of the brightest minds in world football as a coach, is using Adams and saying, okay, uh, what Nagelsmann's doing is wherever there's a guy hurt or wherever there's a weakness, he throws Adams there. And Adams plays. He plays regularly. It's just he's not always playing in the same place. So um, that's another thing to consider. You know, where, where, wherever we find we have a weakness, that's the guy you plug in. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tyler is probably so versatile that he, you could put him anywhere you want and he'll still be dangerous enough. Uh, I mean, that's the thing yeah. right there. That's the thing right there about Tyler. And as much as I didn't like him as a right fullback and have him going up and down that right side as a fullback all the time, I thought he was being misused. Um, you know, once again, I, I, I still feel his best position is the box-to-box midfielder and being that defensive because he's got great uh, run-back defense uh, to help out the back yeah. line whenever it's able. And then he can occasionally go into an attacking run and bury the ball past the keeper. I mean, that's how strong he is. I still would like for him to remain in the middle of the park. But, you know, if you let's say for the hell of it, he becomes a goal scorer or he just finds a way to set up plays I mean, it's not a bad thing to have him, I would say. I, I still want him closer to the back line, but I wouldn't mind seeing Tyler being added to the attack. Yeah, so here, here, here's what I've, I've found um, messing with, uh, with the U.S. team on football manager. I've I, I found that it's probably better to play Adams uh, either as a, uh, as a number eight, playing him in front of Weston McKinney, or um, – Playing him at, at, at right fullback. Now I don't have any um, uh, any need for him at right fullback because I've got Reggie Cannon, I've got that uh, 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 Serginio Dest, I've actually got uh, uh, uh not Odisawe. He's a he's a central uh, uh, Matthew Alosande, uh, who we've seen a couple times for the national team. He's actually playing pretty well in my football manager game, and I've started to give him some some caps at, at right back. And you, know, you obviously always have DeAndre Yedlin who. Uh, First, on, first back onto the scene of late with Newcastle. Newcastle was terrible in the Premier League, but somehow, not somehow, they had some COVID issues, they had some injury issues. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin worked his way back into that team um, and has played pretty well, right? I mean, in the, in the match against Liverpool, the reigning Premier League champions, he, he had one of the best matches in that match. Now, granted, Yedlin is not consistent enough, right? But and we know that yes. historically this is the case, but some, some matches he just in that match, he was one-on-one defending with Sadio Mane, who's one of the best attacking players in the world. He had him in his back pocket. So there's just some games where Yedlin still has it. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely take him out of the national team picture. But, um, yeah, to your point, I think I actually, from experimenting with this game on Football Manager, I don't want to base everything on that, but I, I'm finding Adams is most effective in a more advanced position. So he can, he can support, actually, my attacking players, you know, Reina, 
Sargent, et cetera, uh, Pulisic, uh, with, with runs from midfield. And, as you said, he has that ability to track back to, to, to give McKinney some cover in front of, in front of the back four. So, uh, yeah, I still like him centrally. So let me ask you this, then, with Tyler Adams, um, would you put him in a 3-5-2? As a wingback, as a right wingback, yeah. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good idea. Obviously, we've seen Nagelsmann do that. So that's what I should say. When Nagelsmann plays a 3-5-2, he often plays a 4-4-2-3-1. Four, four, um, they occasionally played a 4-4-2 four, four, in Leipzig. But when they play a 3-5-2, which he does for certain matchups, they did against Bayern. They did against uh, um, uh, who did they beat in the Champions League last year? Atletico Madrid. Um, they, they do right. it in, in specific situations. Um, he usually does play Adams at right wing back, but he doesn't play Adams at right back in the four in the four man back line. Now, I think that's pretty important. So the good that's a great point you make, Daniel. When you play in a three five two, Adams is is, is is actually kind of an ideal wing back. Because also um, the way Nagelsmann uses his wing back. They play kind of like inverted wing backs. So um, they often cut into midfield. Now, actually, we've seen Greg Berhalter do that with Sergio Dest in whichever match it was. Was it the Wales match or the Panama match recently? Um, Nagelsmann has used Adams that same exact way for Leipzig. Um, and uh, he's been pretty effective in that role. So the match against Bayern, which was a 3-3 match back in November, I think, uh, yeah, it was right after the election, so it was in November. Um, he was very good uh, in that role for much of the match, Adam. He had some rough spots. You know, he was having to mark um, and Alfonso Davies, uh, in the, in, 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 and Davies finally warmed down in the second half. Although, you know, I should mention that that might be the same matchup when we play Canada in, in, the, um, in qualifying. So that, that may be a little bit of a concern because Davies – um, I just think Davies is really good, right? He, he makes most uh, defenders look bad. Uh, so I wouldn't hold that against Adams. But, yeah, that's who he was marking in that formation was actually Alfonso Davies. And, and a little bit of Kingsley Coman going forward also for Bayern. Yeah. I, no, I agree with you there. It's going to be very interesting to watch to see what's going to happen. And uh, I got to say, though, Cardiff gets uh, – you know, there's a lot of options right now for the U.S. men's national team, especially in the under-23 Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, who would have thought that all of a sudden we have a plethora of young players that are going to basically play uh, in MLS and then they'll make their move to Europe. They're currently in Europe right now. That came from MLS or, you know, some have just come out of nowhere and gone straight to Europe and have improved. Obviously, that's Pulisic, um, Hope. Right now that we can say, of course, Sargent is uh, there right now. Davies, no, I shouldn't say Davies, excuse me, I know he's Canadian, but still, uh, still, you know, it's MLS still. I mean, he's done well for Canada yeah. right now through the qualifying, Jonathan but still, David, though. Jonathan David is playing very, very well at Lille. I've, I've uh, kept, it, kept my eye on the French League, and, and Lille is right there um, in the title chase, chasing down PSG and, uh, and Lyon. And he had a bit of a tough start, but that, that's another – uh, but now he's playing very well. That's another really good top Canadian player, obviously. Yep. No, absolutely. And of course, let's not forget Giovanni Reina. Lil is doing even better than I thought. They're they're level on points with PSG, so they're joint top. Uh, they're second in goal difference, but they're they're right, right there so, with the Canadian leading so, the line. They're they're, they're so striking. So, so about what, that. 
So what you're saying is is that we have a title race going on in France, aren't we, in Ligue 1? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's unheard of. Yeah. Which is unheard of. I mean, that's the thing about this season, Daniel, that's so – and MLS is going to get into it also with, with the quick turnaround. Because the, the games, there have been so many matches so quickly, it is much more easy for the top teams to drop points. We're seeing that in England too, right, how, how much Liverpool has struggled of late um, and how much Man City yep. struggled early in the season. So it, I think every league is more competitive this year because um, their teams are playing every three or four days and they're not getting the proper rest. And um, that's allowing the smaller teams to kind of sneak up on the bigger teams. Teams are dropping points. Same thing in Spain. I mean, Spain, I think this is the year where Atletico Madrid is probably going to win the title. Uh, it's not going to be Barcelona or Real Madrid at this rate. Again, because there's games every three or four games, days, and teams are dropping points more regularly. And who would have expected Lionel Messi to get a red card? Well, and that was amazing to see uh, that equalizer from, from, from Bilbao and, and then them, them winning it. Uh, in extra time, and then Messi gets his first red card. But your point was Gio Reyna, uh, who I think what will be very interesting is there will be a new manager at Dortmund next season. Um, I think Erling Holland, yeah. is, uh, I can tell, is, is disgusted with what's going on. Um, if he leaves, uh, I, I'm not sure how they re- – you don't replace a guy that good, straight, straight up. But, no, absolutely. Um, Reyna, yeah. But Reyna, would he play further forward? What we've seen these last few games is Reyna come off the bench. And they're not doing well. So I'd like to see maybe he gets integrated back into the starting 11 this week. But he's, hit, he's playing really well. Um, obviously, Adams, you mentioned, McKinney is phenomenal. And I think for Weston McKinney, the thing we're finding is he's developing a lot of uh, nastiness to his say game. It. Now, because say he, it. He, he, he's he developing did. Ronaldo oh, syndrome. Ahead. Yeah. Well, but by the nastiness, I mean, he, he, he's now – tenacious on the pitch. He's fighting to win the ball back. Uh, like I said, that match against Inter, which didn't go so well for Juve a week ago, he was, he was, uh, he was kind of like a little pit bull. And then he, he's timing his runs forward well, so he's playing well. Uh, Adesawe got a couple matches for Wolves uh, around Christmas, kind of tailed off after that. Anthony Robinson got a terrible red card against uh, Chelsea last week that cost Fulham uh, the match. However, up to that point, he had been having a really good season. Um, so yep. he's a guy that, for whatever reason, when he comes into the U.S. camp, he doesn't do very well, or at least Burhalter doesn't like him. Sarakin likes him a lot, but uh, the current manager yeah. doesn't like him. Uh, so, but he's continuing to impress in the Premier League until that red card, which was a stupid, rash decision by his part, on his part in his time in the middle of a pitch. No real danger. He just kind of lunched out of at the, at the, I think it was at Reese James, the Chelsea player, and got, got sent off. But he, you know, he's doing well. I, I, I don't remember a season where we had this many Americans playing this well in Europe recently. Honestly, Dex has played as bad as Barcelona has been at times. Dex has played pretty well. Um, and like I said, I, I'm, I, Matthew Hope stands out to me. Weston McKinney stands out to me. And Gio Reyna, Reyna stands out to me as the top three. But then I think Adams has shown in spots including this past weekend before um, they let Mines come back and beat them uh, for Leipzig, that, that, that he had some standout moments. And again, Josh Sargent, to me, is doing everything well other than scoring goals. I know a lot of people just look at the score sheet and see that he's not scoring and saying, you know, how is this guy developing? Although I do kind of like your take on it, Daniel. I think there is a bit of a sophomore 
um, slump. Yeah, sophomore slump. Yeah, because he he burst onto the scene. We we knew about him as Americans, but he he impressed a lot of people in Germany last season. Helped keep uh, uh, Bremen in the league. They they they, they were in the relegation zone for most of the season. They pulled out right at the end, and um, this season he's not he's not finishing his chances. Um, but at the same time, it's tough to drop him completely because he's you know, he does a lot of other things. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, how some of our other guys get on. I, I, I big game, match this week in the championship. I'm going to watch uh, between Brentford and and uh, Swansea. There'll be uh, a real chance for Jordan Morris against one of the better teams in, in the in the league. Um, that's second versus third, I think, in, in the championship, and, and see how, how he gets on. Um, another another, uh, another player I'm really interested in. Uh, and keeping an eye on his Aronson moving from Philadelphia over uh, to Europe and seeing how, 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 how he uh, copes. Uh, he, these moves in January are always tough, uh, although I think this year being such a strange year with the COVID and everything, it might actually be an easier move this year. I mean, it looks like, it looks like Morris is going to move right into the Swansea team. And Swansea have been pretty good, but they think that, that he can give them a little bump and he's a little fresher because their guys have been worn down. Uh, Jordan Morris hasn't played since the MLS Cup, so um, that's, that's four weeks. Um, uh, four or five, more than that now, about six weeks. So he, he's ready to go, yeah. and, and they can plug him right in. Well, the real question is this. How does Christopher Harris like this pickup? You know how big of a Swansea supporter he is. He's excited. He, he was uh, he was surprised that Morris picked Swansea over those Bundesliga sides. But I, I mean, <laughs> when I talked to Christopher about it, he, he agreed. It made sense that he would play. Right? He's going to play a Swansea. Whereas Bundesliga team, he comes in on loan. Maybe they don't play him. Right? Uh, he's got to break into mm-hmm. that team. I think that the thing for, for for Morris to make this decision to go down a division rather than playing in the first division in Germany, playing in the second division in England, is that he will play. And Swansea right. has been a Premier League team for many years, and they're trying to get back to the Premier League now. So, and they're sitting in, in second position. They're sitting in an automatic promotion spot. So he knows he has the chance. And like I said, from what I understand, the thinking is Morris is thinking. Now, I'm not sure about Seattle and MLS is thinking, but Morris is thinking from talking to people close to him is that he thinks that if he does well and Swansea doesn't go up, he will get a move to another uh, club in Europe. Of course. Um, you know, I, I, That's I, the I hope. I get it. I think Jordan Morris is, uh, he's been to four MLS Cups in five years, right? Am I correct when I say that? Uh-huh. Four MLS Cups in five That's years. correct. You know, one, two of them, lost two of them. I, he's not about all he can do in MLS. I think he's ready for exactly. the challenge. So the, the, it'll be good. Exactly. No, absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And he needs a bigger challenge, I think, when now, um, what's his name? Um, now he doesn't have to come... Uh, Oh, he was with New England. Not New England. Yeah, he was with New England. Jermaine Jones, he doesn't have to complain anymore about uh, Jordan Morris not being in the Premier League or not being in Europe. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, now Jordan Morris has made the move. He doesn't have to complain. <laughs> but other than that, Cardiff, it's going to be a fun month in March. I cannot wait for the Olympic qualifying to get underway. And, um, you know, let's see what happens in the future down the road. Let's see if Kakakaf can talk with Kami Bowl and see if they can – maybe make up a tournament if possible. And, uh, you know, because it's really a shame. Uh, I know FIFA had to do what they had to do because of the pandemic. 
it's understandable, but maybe CONCACAF and Bowl can make up something just so they can give these kids in the under-20 level uh, an opportunity to face stiff and tough competition. Uh, it could be a short tournament. It could be a long tournament. Whatever it is, I just hope they get something done. Kardec, thank you again. I'll talk to you again soon. Some big news, of course, yep, going through American soccer, especially with NBC Sports, uh, with certain things going on with their, um, of course, streaming and uh, uh, broadcasting situation with certain channels. We'll get to that another time, but I'll talk to you next time. Yep. You take care and have a good night. Same, same thing to you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. And that's Carter Krishnar once again from World Soccer Talk. We talked about, of course, FIFA canceling the under-20 and under-17 World Cups. And then, of course, we talked about the Olympic qualifying tournament. It should be a fun time in March to see what happens with Jason Christ uh, takes over uh, the reins. So, um, and, of course, I did mention there'll be some New York Red Bulls news coming through, of course. Um, as we just found out today, uh, the New York Red Bulls and their sister club in Germany, Red Bull Leipzig, they have come to an agreement very soon. Caden Clark will move to the Bundesliga with Red Bull Leipzig. But he will play a full season of MLS, and when the MLS season is over, at the end of December, or even if they don't go to the MLS Cup final, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We gotta see what's gonna happen. Caden Clark will be going to Leipzig when the Red Bull season is officially over. Over whether they make the playoffs or not, or if they lose in their playoff run, if they are gonna have one, we'll have to wait and see. That is going to be very interesting to see and every uh, interesting to watch. Uh, Caden Clark, of course, was um, coming out of nowhere, got his opportunity, had played well, scored three goals in in um, in two competitions, three goals in all competitions, I should say. So it's going to be interesting. Here's another one that's interesting: the New York Red Bulls, and this is from Dylan Butler of Pro Soccer USA as well as MLSsoccer.com. Uh, the Red Bulls signed Venezuelan midfielder Weichelman Carmona, who's 17 years old. He arrives from Dynamo FC Marga- Margarita Academy, a youth academy in Nueva Esparta, Esparta, Venezuela. He plays in South American Championship in 2019. He appeared in, th- in three matches for country and recorded a goal in 43 minutes played. So that's from Dylan Butler of MLSsoccer.com as well as, of course, Pro Soccer USA. So Red Bulls are making some moves. They're looking to do something special here. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, all things aside, I think Mr. Carmona will be in USL uh, Championship with Red Bulls 2. So we'll see him get some matches to get uh, adjusted to the tactics of what the Red Bulls are going to do. Gerhard Struber right now looking strong. Um, and the Red Bulls looking solid once again as they find a way to not only uh, develop players but to send them to big clubs, obviously, and they'll reuse that money to bring in better players and possibly to bring over, hopefully, free agents. We'll have to wait and see what they will do with their plans, but once again, it should be exciting to watch. Other than that, I want to thank my guests tonight once again, Guillermo Rivera from The Athletic in Chicago and Fire Confidential. I want to say thanks again to Johnny Wakefield, formerly of uh, Soccer and Sweet Tea, but hopefully this means maybe he comes out of retirement. We'll have to wait and see, and let's see what time he's got. And, of course, Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk. Join me next Monday as we'll talk more uh, U.S. Soccer and of course uh, MLS, USL, 
And let's not forget this coming Sunday evening, uh, Camp Cupcake, I guess, but not really. A, uh, the U.S. Men's National Team will be taking on Trinidad and Tobago at Explorer Stadium in Orlando, Florida, home of Orlando City. That will be on FS1, Fox Sports 1, at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. There will be post-match here on the Florida Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, and then we'll have our regular show next Monday, and then we will have uh, uh, next Friday will be the return of the NPSL Soccer Show, first show of 2021. Uh, I will be getting guests from the uh, course with my partnership with Mr. Gary Moody, who helps out with the NPSL. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting. I cannot wait. Once again, this is Daniel Feuerstein here of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.